Welcome to We'll See You in Hell, your favorite podcast to get information about horror, sci-fi, and fantasy films, and once in a while an action flick, a comedy thing, or a dramatic farce. Uh, I'm Joe DeRosa. A dramatic farce. <laughs> I'd be interested in what that is. I would, too. I think you as, just invented a genre. As it was coming out of my mouth, I really liked it. People coming in and out of doors crying for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, farce by nature is a comedy, but oh, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to thank, right off the bat, our new sponsor, Audible. Uh, thanks for coming on board and helping us out and being part of the family. Absolutely. Uh, folks, today we're going to be talking about a documentary called Horror Noir. 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 Horror Noir. That's my uh, Missouri coming out. And it's available on uh, the Shutter app, which is another sponsor. And it just winds up being a coincidence because we picked this title before uh, they became a sponsor. But we love Shutter, And, and we love um, this is a great time to check them out. Uh, if you if you haven't seen this documentary or the other great contents, contents that they have. Now, we're not obviously going to get right into the movie. We'll come back to it. But before I forget to mention this, I wanted to ask you. The title confuses of this film, horror noir. I thought horror, I thought noir meant like detective movies. N o i r does. In this case, I believe they mean noir as in black because it's about black horror films. Is the word noir means black? It does. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. It can also mean like it means like a dark wine as well. You know, like Pinot Noir. Oh, I didn't. Oh, oh, duh, duh. I love and Pinot noir, noir as a film genre means like a dark film, dark themes. That's what that means. Yes. I thought it literally meant detective. No. Well, you're not uh, Take the sharpest easy. tool in the shed, as Smash Mouth once sang. Says the man wearing a sweater and a collared shirt in 80-degree weather today. I just drove in from Lake Arrowhead where uh, it was 25 degrees. Last right. night, I went to get a newspaper to start a fire with it because that's that's how edgy I am. I don't even read the news. I burn it. But uh, I got out of my car. My door flipped open like I thought it was going to come off its hinges like I was in the Wizard of Oz. And I I was uh, my blood is not the same as it was when I lived in Missouri where we actually had winters. I, I can't tolerate it anymore. So I was wearing several layers the whole uh, weekend. And here I am now at any point. During also, I feel quite comfortable. If I may, if I may say so. At any point during this, this stay alone in the cabin, did you? Begin solving a murder where you found out you were actually the murderer, but you didn't know it at the beginning of it. Anything like that happen up in the cabin? No, because it was just me in the cabin, so that would have been a really weird... It's just Johnny uh, Depp in Secret Window. Oh, you that was a Secret Window reference? That's exactly what it was a reference I to. don't remember that movie at all. I saw it at the theater. I remember it being terrible. Yeah, it sucks. He's in a cabin, and he... He's in a cabin alone, but he kills somebody. Somebody. It's. It's. I don't even remember. It's got something to do with like he. There's a murderer on the loose, and he's the murderer, but he's hunting himself. And, oh. You know, it's one of those fourteen oh eight kind of. I bet. Uh, bet they came in through that secret window, folks. <laughs> let's get on 
if I may, with the show and at the same time on with the show. Joe, Joe. I freaked out your dog. And I don't know what I was out. doing either. I didn't like that. That freaked me out. Made your dog panic and then sneeze on me. Ugh, I'm in a terrible seat in my apartment. I'm on the side of the couch. Sun just beating on my neck. This is brutal. I have been angry and uncomfortable for weeks. And I can't seem to shake it. And knocking off the drinking didn't help. I'll tell you that much. Pat is uh, on a drinking break. God I'm, knows why. I'm on a everything break. I'm doing a, a cleanse, a five-day cleanse. Um, I had just, you know, fallen to shit. I, I was unable to uh, exercise or do anything I normally do. And I do the, like to do this once a year, kind of reset the old system, drinking just a disgusting juice to uh, stay alive. Now, I've been doing... Juice is a, is a uh, very generous word here. It's ginger, lemon, and cayenne pepper. I've been doing in the morning, every morning, uh, uh, a smoothie, Yeah, but I just make it with water, so it's not really that smooth. Uh, it's more like a thick juice, but uh, I've been doing every morning one green apple, bunch of spinach and kale and water okay. with electrolytes in it, Yeah, and it gives me quite a charge every morning, Oh, and I feel that you know I ate two donuts after that today, and I felt like it was kind of okay to eat the donuts because I had a 64-ounce fucking thing of spinach. You're drinking every morning 64 ounces? My blender is 72 ounces, and this thing fills up far more than half of it. Okay. But it's probably 32 ounces in all honesty. Okay. But, but I uh, think from what I've heard, if you eat a bunch of shit, it can help a little bit to eat something healthy after. So you may want to go donuts, then juice. Um, well, sure. I mean, I don't do donuts every day. I'm just saying it was Saturday. There's a wonderful little Italian shop up the road. Uh-huh. I stopped in. The guy had donuts filled with an Italian custard. I said, well, I got to try these things. They were f- magnificent, life-changing donuts, these things. Joe, might I ask you not to tell me where that place is? <laughs> uh, they were filled with a paprika lemon ginger custard. Right up your alley. <laughs> paprika? Didn't you say that that drink was paprika Ginger and lemon. Oh, I was, did. I thought you, I thought you joke. were. I I get it now. I thought you were yeah. saying that they had. I don't know what these Italians put in their donuts. <laughs> I've never had one. These it, wops. What do they do over there in Italy? <laughs> um, I'm I'm waiting. Uh, I'm waiting to hear from uh, Heather, my wife. I came home to find my bathtub not not full, but certainly packed with quite a lot of cat turds, and. We have a litter box that the cat has never ventured outside of, and I need answers, frankly. It was disgusting and wild, and I, I need answers. But That's she's gross. working, and I, I'm waiting to hear. That's gross. Uh, let me tell our listening audience, our sweet hellions, if you will, yes. why it's such a tragedy you're not drinking today. Yeah. I was invited, folks to uh, a me- to attend the, a show at the Legion Hall here in Hollywood, where I am an honorary colonel, I'd like to add. Sure. Uh, and member of the hall. It's a veterans hall. Uh, I was invited. I've performed there as a comic, and tonight they're doing a big benefit, a fundraiser thing, and the great Ron White is headlining. 
I was invited just to attend the show. I happened to bump into Ron White the other night. I don't really know the guy. We start talking at the Comedy Store bar. We're having a few drinks. He says, you're coming to the show. Do the goddamn thing. If you're going to be there, uh, I'm going to put you to work. Puts me on the show. It's going to be a night, I'd imagine, of flowing drinks and uh, and comedy and, and one of Pat's favorites, Ron White, on stage. And not only can he not go to this thing, he can't drink. I mean, this this would have been like one of the best nights we've ever had together. It really sucks, and I have met Ron White. I doubt he would remember me, especially with the amount of tequila that we drank the night that we hung out. But, um, yeah, that really sucks, and I'm going to an engagement party. I was just telling Joe beforehand, uh, I'm like, you know, Heather texts me. She's like, hey, you know, we got to get something. I looked it up. We got to get like a bottle of dom perignon or we got to get like a super nice gift or something and i'm like in addition to the wedding gift and yes of course you have to get a wedding gift when does it end it doesn't i uh i used to have a a bit about this in my act and i don't remember how the bit went but i just remember talking about it's like engagement party christening sorry wait engagement party wedding yeah christening yeah uh baby shower it's fucking ridiculous. You you started the family. Go have the goddamn family. It's not on us to fucking nurse you through this shit. You know what I do? You know what I do when I can't afford a car? I don't buy a car. That's how that works. Now, Joe says this, but I just pulled up behind a Jaguar that says "Proud Parent of a." Oh. Folks, That's it's. The- the first ever doorbell on the podcast. Why don't you take the Why don't you take the wheel and I'll see who's at the door. I will. Uh, yeah. So, oh, it's probably my car. That's what it must be. I got to move my car. Do you think that's what it is? Oh. Anyway, folks, I, I pulled up behind Joe's Jaguar that he bought, like an old used car, and it says uh, "Proud parent of a USC Trojan." which I found pretty hilarious because uh, Joe is not. Uh, There's a lot going on at this door, folks. If I'm being honest, I'm worried that Joe's going to get shot. He's fine. I wanted to add a little horror-style suspense to the podcast. Um, Anywho, uh, is everything okay, Joe? All right. Not my car? Did you have a delivery? A package? Captain John Luke package? Uh, that was... I'm a little breathy because as you can hear, my dog... I mean, it's it's like it's like a guy... It's like a nom vet hearing a car backfire. I mean, <laughs> any, just, any way you can stop it? I don't know how to. I got to tell you, I've as tried much as I love tried. my cat, I always think about how much I would love to remove its voice box. I love the purring... The meowing is constant and incessant, and it won't. It can't eat enough, and uh, it's becoming an issue. Frankly, I've tried. And on cue, there goes the downstairs techno music starting. <laughs> uh, my downstairs neighbor. I go. Uh, the other day, techno music starts. Yeah. Oh uh, wait, but to answer your question, yeah, I got a package. It's my mailman. It's the same mailman can never seem to fit the stuff in the box. I, 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 it almost annoys me because he every other day he rings the bell, 
That's not a big package. And the dog starts huh? barking and stuff. And it's like, dude, can you just leave the goddamn thing on the stoop? I know he's doing the responsible thing. I shouldn't get annoyed with he him. He is. On this one, I side with the postman. I do, too. But I'm still irritated because you got to listen to that. Oh, also. Oh, no, that is my address. Okay. So what is the deal with this car with the proud USC parent bumper sticker? That Jaguar I got for $1,500 flat all in. So I, I bought it because I said I wanted to get a beater car to kind of go from point A to point B. Right. It's got a hell of an engine in it. It's in wonderful shape. It's beautiful looking. And it was 1500 bucks, and I own it outright. Do you know why it was $1,500? Uh, I mean, it's an old car. So it's like yeah. it's, it's only worth about at the most three grand in a resale. Okay. And I just found a good deal on it. All right. But I ran the VIN and did all that crap. And it's, it's, it's in good shape. It passed. She's clean. She's clean, baby. She's clean. That dog will hunt. Um, so it's just a great little car to ride from, you know, around town in. All right. Uh, once I get my license, which is next week, I think I finally get to go to take the test. That's great. And you're, uh, you're only 41, 42. So that's... Why are, I've had a license in the past. <laughs> um, folks, I would also like to say, speaking of, uh, as we said in our ad, we're both listening to Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter. And, uh... We're going to definitely do that on the show. Joe and I, I'm, I'm calling it now. Joe, don't see it with anyone but me. I will see it with you. I'm oddly excited to see it, even though I kind of know it's going to suck. I don't know it's going to suck. I'm trying to be optimistic. I haven't been excited about anything at all in years. I mean, look, the producers of It continue to reign terror throughout the, the horror movie community. Yeah. They did It. Now they're doing this. They're, they're behind the Child's Play remake, which I posted about this on Instagram the other day. Like, could these, could the people behind this remake get it any less? Yeah. Like, they're, they're all proud. Like, A-list actor voicing Chucky. It's like, oh, so you don't want Chucky to be scary at all? Right. It's just like. Who is it? They didn't say yet. You know, but that's Will what Arnett? I, yeah, that's what I want to hear. Is yeah, is like is like a David Cross voicing Chucky. Well, is he a list? You know what I mean. <laughs> no, but it's not going to be David Cross either. He although he did voice. No, he was he didn't voice one of the chipmunks. He was their manager. Yeah, it'll be it'll be like you know like Amy Sedaris as the voice of Chucky. That uh, th- that's something I never got. So David Cross and I, I don't know the man he portrayed a uh, the manager of the the chipmunks Alvin and the chipmunks. And he goes on Conan and he's like, this fucking movie's a piece of shit, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, you did it for the money. Yeah. No one is faulting you for that. I mean, I'm sure people are faulting David Cross for doing that. But I think more and more people are understanding you have to do ads. You have to put your music in commercials and movies. If you want to make a dime, they're not making anything off of Spotify or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So like. I I just it always rubs me the wrong way when somebody goes in and starts making fun of the movie they're in. You can turn it down. You needed the money, and when you take the money, you are obligated to perform. And if they ask you to promote, uh, look, I think David Cross, uh, you know, became a victim of his own uh, hubris. As I've said before about most celebrities that get sort of attacked in this position and whatever, you know, he got he he got hit pretty hard for that joke he made. Yes. Uh, the Asian joke. It's like, dude, when you walk around telling everybody they're stupid and if they don't vote a certain way, they're wrong and uh, and that you're smarter than they are and all that shit. It's like people are, we're going to revel in 
Look, nobody's mad at Ray Romano if he makes a movie like that. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's Ray, he's just like, yeah, man, I God bless you. <laughs> Have you watched uh, Paddleton? The fuck is Paddleton? <laughs> oh, that's right. You don't have Netflix. Although we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, every time I log into Netflix, filling up my homepage is Ray Romano and one of the Duplasses, the one who has the therapy appointment before mine. Uh, and it's uh, called Paddleton. The movie where like Romano's going to die or whatever. I think he's going to die. I mean, to me, that's just a title that just makes me laugh. And Romano knows how to pick him because he did one of the funniest titles ever. Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> but Paddleton is like a dark movie. I think there's a comedic edge to I don't know. I mean, look. Any, it's been uh, on the homepage for weeks and I haven't seen a single person talk about it. So I'm sure it's not great. But uh, Let's talk about Netflix because I am in a position where I could potentially get my subscription back because they did pull the Bird Box footage. Do you think that the head of Netflix chip netflix listens to this podcast and that's yes. why he did it yes all right yes uh and it's sandy netflix and it's a woman okay is the head of netflix find that hard to believe but go on <laughs> seems like if it's a big corporation it's probably run by a man but and i know they'll come after me for saying that but i thought you were gonna go the other direction i believe it's a woman but her name isn't sandy netflix <laughs> uh uh, you know, I, who knows? But I do find it a coincidence that I talk about it. The next day, it changes. That's true. So, um, I mean, you know, maybe... And it, it probably cost them $1,000 to do it. I, I will say, I have two friends far up the ladder at Netflix. Okay. So maybe one of them listens to the podcast. They might. And heard it. They might. Uh, um, speaking of Netflix, I mean, I got to take you over to Pat's Movie Corner, but I got to... I got to do more than my my share. I'm I'm piling them up, especially after a week in a cabin. Uh, you you do three, and I'll, I'll do, do three. I'll do brief reviews. I got to check some of these off my list. Look, now you, it's triggering my ACD. They're they're overflowing from my. Why don't phone. you keep? Listen, here's what I'm asking you to do. Why don't you keep the extras because I'm soon not going to have any because uh, my schedule's picking up a bit. So I'd rather you cover my ass when I don't have any with your extras. Happy to. Yeah. Instead of wasting them now. Well, I don't consider it wasting. I've got more than I could ever do, frankly. Look at this list. What do you What do you do all day? This is what you do all day? Well, these have been building up forever because you limit me to three. You limit me. I don't limit you to three. Your rule was Pat's Movie Corner is three. And it usually works out nicely for the segment. It also, sometimes I put them on here twice and so forth. Like, I, I just want to clean up this list. Well, sounds like somebody got sloppy. I, uh, I don't know what that means. Um, folks, let's take you over to Pat's Movie Corner. Um, I'd like to kick this thing off with one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. And... This thing was for my consideration last year. It was critically acclaimed. It's a picture called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Now, A, that's uh, the worst title I've ever heard. The Joaquin Phoenix thing? Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Pick six words and take them out of the title. That's too long. <laughs> oh, All right. It's Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, he plays an alcoholic paraplegic cartoonist that old tale 
True story. True story. Jonah Hill at his worst. If you dislike Jonah Hill, if you dislike the current holier than thou, uh, like smelling his own shit, Jonah Hill, you will not believe this performance. He is playing uh, a gay man. In, it all takes place in the 70s. He's got like, you know, open silk shirts and flowing hair. He's also in rehab with Joaquin. And then Jack Black, the only person bringing any life to the proceedings as the guy who's driving the car when Joaquin Phoenix gets paralyzed. And does he say things like, sorry, you're in a wheel skadoosh. He did say wheel skadoosh, which I thought was out of place uh, and was dressed as a panda at the time. Now... <laughs> this movie here's what it is a man in a wheelchair drinking himself nearly to death once in a while he will draw a shit cartoon this man is supposed to be like a world famous cartoonist like he had big fans robin williams and all these people and they show you some of these cartoons and like a model for this would be american splendor you know like when when you see the cartoons in that movie and when you see that guy's work you're like that's pretty awesome. In addition to it just being a great movie, but well, the guy's the guy's not a cartoonist in American Splinter. He just Harvey just wrote the comics. Um, what's his name? Drew them. Yeah, but you know, you you, you see the material. Crumb. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, Crumb. Yes, and Crumb's a great movie about a cartoonist. This guy is named John Callahan. There's a reason you never have heard of him, and I am sorry. I know the man was in a wheelchair, but. He, he draws what Wikipedia here says off color newspaper cartoons. So you, you see a montage of like old women walking up to him and spitting in his face. being like your cartoons are disgusting. You see these cartoons. They're the most innocuous, lame, poorly drawn, unfunny shit you've ever what's seen. It, what's his name? John Callahan. And everybody in the movie talks about him like he's a genius. Like, John, you're a legend. We love you, John. And the cartoons suck. Jim Davis, sir, you are not. Charles Schultz, you are not. Bill Waterston, you are not. These are probably the only three cartoonists I know. Uh, Gary Larson. They've got four. a bit of a far side vibe to them. They suck, you know? And maybe if I read a book about about them or, or, or looked at them, whatever. but everything you see in this movie, you're like, am I supposed to believe this is setting the world on fire? It's one of those things where they try to, act like this is having some sort of impact when you know it didn't because you don't know who the guy is uh but most of it is just people crying and drinking and being miserable and aa scenes that go on forever uh rooney mara is in it as a love interest that's like the most underwritten female role i've seen in a movie well i mean listen it's about time they started underwriting rooney mara's fucking (laughs) roles because i mean you want to talk about death on screen she jesus christ she is no good she is no good it's like watching an interview with bjork you're just like what what is going on Is is this is there a personality in there anywhere everyone in the movie is at their worst uh there is a reason this like started to be bandied about in the oscar race and then nobody talked about it after uh it came out but it was kind of critically acclaimed it's like sappy as shit and i just didn't like it i only like jack black and what makes it all the more depressing is that it was directed by gus van sant who is a once great filmmaker who has really lost his way. He makes a bunch of very mediocre to crappy movies and has a handful of good ones in there that's gus van sant I think, yeah, his early movies up through Goodwill Hunting are pretty good. 
they're all right. And then there was decades of like, that, you know, that movie with Matt Damon and Casey Affleck walking around the desert. You know that, that there was that, a, the, 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 the Columbine Cobain one. Music the, movie. the Cobain one was terrible. Like, oh, I don't know. Well, I'm going to I'm going to follow this up with something that's really going to piss off people. Now the house music is annoying me. It's it's every day. Yeah. It's every day and every and about once a week I text him and I say, "Hey man, the music is a little loud, do you mind?" And he goes, "Yeah, no problem, dude. I'm so sorry." Turns it down, then thinks that that means the next day he can turn it back to that volume again. Gotcha. It's irritating. The other day I come out of the house, there's a woman there. I don't know if it's a sister or a girl he's dating, whatever. She's sitting on the front stoop having a drink, which who am I to knock that? No. Uh, and I had texted him, and he wasn't there. He had had to text her to tell her to turn it down because she started blaring music at 8 o'clock in the morning. 12 o'clock, I finally text him. I'm like, dude, please. It's like really loud. Four hours this is. And uh, so finally, uh, I, I go downstairs around five to walk the dog for the second time. And I see her and she goes, she goes, oh, was the music too loud? And I go, yeah. And she goes, wow. I mean, I got a text at 12 to turn it down. I was like, what a bum. It's 12 o'clock. Get out of bed. And I go, yeah, I work nights. And she goes, oh, my bad. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I only ask you to turn it down when I hear a fucking techno soundtrack behind the TV show I'm watching. Yeah. That's when I ask you to turn it down. Wow, what a fucking asshole. That's a ballsy move to come back like that. Um, it's very loud, although it you know, it may just be the acoustics of the place. Who knows? Uh, well, the other day she was like, yeah, the thing is, is like, it's weird. I can barely hear it in the next room from the one I'm playing it in. Uh-huh. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, I'm playing it in the bedroom so I can hear it out here. And I'm like, yeah, don't do that. Right. She's like, yeah, I don't know. And I go, yeah, I have speakers in each room. Yeah. For fifty for twenty for fifteen dollars. Go to the dollar store and get a wireless speaker right. for each room to sync your phone up with. Right. Don't you don't blare it from one room for the entire house. Or get one of the votive deals that you just move around. How hard is that? Those are fifty bucks tops. Um so I don't know what to do. I'm I'm kind of at a point. You know what, Hellions? I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I'm debating going to the landlord and saying, like, look, I've asked the guy several times. He's always very nice, but this isn't what I signed on for, and it's not really fair. Right. But I also don't want to do that if if the right move first is to go to him and be like, hey, dude, I got to really level with you here. You can't play it that loud ever. I don't know if that's what I do first or the fact that he hasn't taken the hint now after several discussions about it that it's just like, well... They sound like drug addicts, but you may have to go to the the landlord. But is that like a punk move? Yeah, but you've tried repeatedly to handle it on your own, and that's what you got to do. But then then what happens? You know. Because I even said to him, I go, why don't we do like a level test, and we'll know like what level not to turn it over, mine and yours. Yeah. And he's like, no, we're good. Don't worry about it. It's fine. (laughs) Like, okay. Yeah. What's he look like? Like a nerdy, straight-laced guy. Okay. Like he's like a, apparently he's like a financial advisor or something. But he's home a lot. Work hard, play hard, baby. Playing music a lot. Yeah, probably a Bitcoin investor. Um. So I don't know. Anyway, all right. I'm gonna follow my with my movie corner. All right. Uh, 
I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you something that'll piss off everybody that made that's mad that I made a slight at Bjork in that last one. Uh, I do you remember when we I, we talked about the Crane Boy Mysteries episode of Frasier? I do. And you said there that's one of those ideas. You're as a writer, you're driving to work to the writers' room. You can't wait to get there. Yes. To pitch it because it's so perfect. I watched an episode of Married with Children. Okay. Called Wabbit Season. Okay. That is one of these ideas. All right. Here's the plot of the episode. Al is going to have a nervous breakdown from stress at work. Uh huh. His doctor stress says, of being a shoe salesman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. His doctor says you have to get a hobby to bring some like, you know, solace into your life, some right. peace. His hobby is he starts a garden in the backyard. Yes. A rabbit starts eating all of his vegetables. And from that point on, it is Al Bundy descending into madness, <laughs> into an Elmer Fudd-like madness uh-huh. to catch this rabbit. By the end of the episode, there's a scene where he's shoving a stick of dynamite into a giant carrot. Okay. <laughs> and he blows up his own house. It's crazy. He blows up the house? He blows up the house by accident with the dynamite. Then they have the house next and week? And then it's just back next week, yeah. They, 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 they do that account. Was that show that much of a cartoon? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I remember, I've seen quite a few, but I don't remember that. It's an excellent episode. All right. it's, it's It's insane. And then... Hear that? Now there's a hammering or a fucking going on. Uh, and then there's the there's they had the audacity to have a joke in there uh, where they actually make fun of Kelly because he's going to shoot the rabbit with a shotgun. Yeah. And Kelly goes, "Daddy, whatever you do, be careful because the rabbit he'll put his two fingers in the hole and the shotgun will blow up in your face." Uh-huh. And then everybody laughs like, "What an idiot!" Cut to a scene of him putting dynamite into a carrot. <laughs> And it's like a foam carrot. It's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. I got to see uh, this. Thing. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was absolutely absurd. Yeah. Uh, it made I, me laugh. I, I miss that. I miss that from comedy, you know? Yeah. There is no silly comedy anymore it, because people think they're above it, and I hate it. Um, I'm going to tell you what else I watched. I watched a picture called Suburbicon. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. So yeah, I, uh, the first day of the cabin, I I spent with my our my my dear friend, your acquaintance, perhaps a little more than an acquaintance. He's my friend Ian. Ian Friedman. Acquaintance. He's my friend. I think he'd prefer acquaintance. I saw him the other day. I was shooting at Comedy Central, and he came down and talked to me. All right, but uh, we get up to the cabin and we watch these two movies back to back, and it was just like we had made the two worst choices that anyone's ever made. Um, Suburbicon is i mean i i had plenty of time during the movie to read the wikipedia it had such a convoluted story of how it got to the screen but after blood simple so we're talking like 1986 the cohen brothers that's i think it's 84 but there were, so this would have been 85 86 cohen brothers were going to do a movie called suburbicon which was, you know, basically what this movie is, which is kind of like a super fucked up double indemnity type thing. Mm. They never got the script where they wanted it and they abandoned it. They started writing a project about a black family moving into a white neighborhood in the 50s. They never got that script where they wanted it. Somewhere along the line, whenever they started working with George Clooney, they became friends. Apparently he asked them, do you guys have any old scripts that you haven't used? They're like, yeah, we got tons. Okay. He reads these two old scripts that the Coen brothers decided were not good enough to film. 
one Suburbicon, one a race, you know, race issue movie, and decides he'll combine them okay. into one script. And George Clooney himself will rewrite the Coen Brothers, merge these movies, and make them work because they surely the Coen Brothers couldn't do it. Obviously, Clooney's your man. Clooney, he's the, uh, the, he's, the new voice of Chucky? Perhaps. Right. Uh, you know, he's the guy. He's the new Robert Town. You bring him in when a script just won't come together, and he, he fixes it perfectly. So, look, I love George Clooney. I'm I, a fan. I don't even hate him as a director or a writer. I think he's fine, but, you know. No, and I actually think he's a legit director. Like, he's a guy that, like, actually wants to direct. He learned his shit. I like some of his stuff. Like, you know, whereas, like, I said, like... Idris Elba is directing a movie. It's like, why is every? Why, it's like people just tick that as a box. Yeah, no, it's, it's been going on forever. Maybe it'll tick. be good. I mean, any I'm number. not saying it won't be. Maybe and maybe he'll be another Clooney. But it just see, I, I only pick him because it seems like every actor that becomes at least even marginally successful in the mainstream, the next thing you know, it's like written and directed by Elizabeth Banks. Sure. You're like, what? Because she's a woman. No. Well, yeah. Yeah. But besides that. And for Idris Elba, I assume you're upset she because she can't he's run a budget. She'll black. be spending the whole damn thing on shoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, let's talk about Suburbicon. Suburbicon stars Matty Damon in, I would say, his worst performance. He's wildly miscast. It stars Julianne Moore, who was an actress I loved in the 90s, and always my heart sinks when I see her now. Uh, I hear she's in a great movie that just came out, some new indie that I'll probably check out. But Fired from Can You Ever Forgive Me? I saw that. I mean, I, for me, her worst is when she's doing that Boston accent, which she did on like 30 Rock and stuff. It, it's embarrassing. But it's those two, and it's Oscar Isaacs who kind of comes in for a, a very small supporting part. Love Oscar Isaac. He's got to stop. He's doing too much, yeah. He's in too much shit, uh, and Adam Driver is about to tick over that line, yeah, too. It's like, absolutely. dude, you can't be in everything. Absolutely. Please. Um, anyway, the movie starts. There's this very funny character actor I don't, I didn't recognize playing a mailman. He's whistling his way through the neighborhood. Hey, like, hey how's it going? How's it going? He gets up to the doorway. This African-American woman answers the door, and he's like, eh, and like trying to keep it together, but he's right. really like freaking out. And doesn't want to give her her mail. And it's like this very tense, kind of awkward, funny scene. And I'm like, okay, interesting. That's not what I thought Suburbicon was about. Then I started looking right. it up. So sure enough, they and this is what I found actually offensive about the movie, is they start to deal with the realities of a black family moving into a white suburban neighborhood in the 50s. And almost immediately abandon it for this other story about... Matt Damon plotting to kill his wife and his wife's sister. And yeah, all I thought stuff. that's what the whole movie was about. That's what it should have been. But instead, he drags in this other story and gives it almost no screen time. So you're like, well, now is the p sorry, I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, it's just that that's the gross thing about it is that, OK, either this is a very serious and interesting subject. Deal with it or do a double indemnity style noir type movie. My the question two do is, not taste good together. My question is, is the reason for that blending of themes to say, can you believe these people lived in a world where it, it was weird to have a black family on the block, but murder was pal palpable? 
I mean, is but that what it's supposed it's, to be? No, because it's it's, it's not I like in the fifties murder was palatable. Like they they, it's not like murder was any cooler now than than it was now. But uh, they almost don't deal with that family in any real way. And then at the end, they have like the two little boys, the white boy and the black boy, playing catch over a fence. And you're like, no, you didn't earn this final shot at all because you didn't do that movie. You did the crime movie. And I actually thought the crime movie was kind of a cool story. When when it opens up, Julianne Moore is playing twins, and I almost just turned the thing off. I can't. Nope, I'm done. One, bl- one blonde, one brunette, and uh, the blonde's in a wheelchair. And, you know, I won't, I won't spoil it in case you want to watch it, but Matt Damon, basically, you know, there's some foul play and so forth. Their kid in the movie is very good, a very good little actor, but everyone else doesn't quite work. The tone is all over the place. And really that Coen Brothers tone, that Fargo thing, is theirs and theirs alone. Many have tried and almost every have failed. It's really hard to do that, like, their thing. And Clooney is just not up to the task. So they were right to leave these movies on the shelf. I don't think they should have been dusted off. The movie was critically panned. It got a like a D minus from audiences. And audiences always rate things very highly because they're dumb. But um, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. I, I, uh, yeah, anything where anybody's playing twins anymore. Look, it's not impressive anymore. No, it was impre- It was more impressive when Jean Claude Van Damme did it because you know how they had to do it and how technically hard it was. Right. Even though it was just two of the same guy. Or Back to the Future when he's playing the whole family or whatever. It's like but still that's a cool. nutty professor. Like that back right. then, it was so impressive. Now it's like you could shoot one of those roles in Denver and the other one in Los Angeles, and then yeah. they would make it look like you're in the same room. Right. It's not that impressive anymore. Uh, it's not necessary. You could also just change another actor's face to have your face. Yes. So it's just it's 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 a little it's a little much. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm only going to do one more because I have a pretty big uh, uh, scary or uh, scream at end that I want to get to that was right. not the Netflix thing, believe it or not. Uh, the Paul Lind Halloween special. We were talking about doing this as a commentary video, but mm-hmm. I think it would work better if I just kind of tell Pat about it on the air because he's never seen it. But yes, folks, Paul Lind from Hollywood Squares has a Halloween special. He was contracted in the 70s to do a special per year with CBS because uh, back then you could do that. That was like a gig you could get. You could just be a guy that never toured or performed. Right. <laughs> but you would get specials. Sounds uh, great. It's insane, yeah. Um, so his is called the Paul Lind holiday, Halloween special, uh, featuring the likes of Tim Conway, uh, Pinky Tuscadero. Who is Pinky Tuscadero? From, uh, from Happy Days. Okay. I don't remember the actress's name. Famous only for her name, I would say. Yeah, I mean, she's her real name. I forget, but she was Pinky Duscadero. On, in fact, in the credits of this thing, it says like so and so Pinky Duscadero, last name. Like, oh wow, like she was really cashing in on that Fonzie fame. Yeah, uh, uh, Tim Conway is in it. Uh, Betty White is in it. Just how you like to go by Joe, veterinarian from Better Call Saul, Derosa. Yes, exactly. Uh, I'll also do, and you know, I'll say Joe, consultant on Crashing, <laughs> season one, right. DeRosa. 
I also go Pat Ben Frywater from season one, episode nine of Cameron Crowe's Roadies, Walsh. Right. People, but, you know, people know me. And my vet has a name, by the way. What is his name? Caldera. Caldera? His last name, yeah, Dr. Oh, Caldera. Dr. Caldera. Yes. What's your first name? They just call him Caldera. You don't ask? You don't want to do some character work? I like the mystery of it. It excites me as much as it excites the viewers. (laughs) Uh, The uh, Anyway. um, Oh, and then finally in this cavalcade of stars of the day, Kiss. Okay. Does not one but three musical numbers on this special. How long is this thing? It's about an hour, which, I mean, they're really leaning heavy on Kiss. I'm sure Paul then was a big fan of Kiss. Um Every single sketch. Every single sketch. Now, people, I'm not one to to judge books by their covers. Sure. But Paul Lind was gay. I mean it's mm, debatable. It's it's he's gay. It was it was it was mm. if you read about him, you, you he was frustrated sure. that he couldn't be openly gay. Right. He was gay. But even if you didn't know that, it was a fairly safe assumption that he was gay man. Uh every sketch centers around him with a woman fighting over him. Or him fighting for a woman. That's the plot of every single sketch. Yeah. And not with any sort of wink to camera. Not with any sort of like, you know, not like it's not like he hits on the woman and then looks in the camera and goes, couldn't you just die? Right. There's none of that. It's just, you know, because I guess they thought people, I guess people were in that level of denial back then. Not him. I mean, the public. Yeah. Uh Including a sketch where at the beginning of it, he sets up that he wants to be the rhinestone trucker. Okay. Cuts to him hanging off a semi in a white sequins suit. And he goes, <laughs> I'm the rhinestone trucker. Like B-52 style, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. And then that's that's a sketch about him and Tim Conway almost fist Hurry fighting up over. and bring your rhinestone trucker. <laughs> yeah. Fist fighting over Pinky Tuscadero. Okay. You're supposed to believe that Pinky Tuscadero (laughs) would fuck either of these two. How cheap is this special? How does it look? Is it on a set? Yeah, it's on a set. It looks like it, you know, it looks like all those, those like Bob Hopes. It looks like the way those specials all looked. Okay. None of them looked extravagant. Studio audience laughing? Yeah. Big studio audience. I can't tell if it's laugh tracked or not. Um, Uh, this thing is just it's it's wild yeah and then he does a thing at the top a song that's a variation you were telling me that's a that's a i was telling you about the song you said it's a parody of the song he did in what kids. uh bye bye birdie kids what's the matter with kids today yeah so he does a halloween song about kids and he goes i give them goodies because he's singing about giving them like <laughs> halloween candy right i was uh i portrayed conrad birdie in uh bye bye birdie sort of the elvis presley role Key role in the show. I played Conrad Bain in the play about right? his life. Is that right? Yep. Um, that's it for me for Movie Corner because we're, we're running a little low on time and I want to do a Scream Man in. But, uh, well, I'll do my third one, yeah. which is my favorite television show of the year. Uh, I think it's a masterpiece, if I may. I think that it's one of those few occasions where everyone is talking about something and they're right, you know? Okay. Usually you watch it and you're like, you fucking idiots. This show is incredible. It is called Pen 15 or Penis. Uh, I guess, you know, how you type the word penis into a calculator or a phone. But I don't know these girls. Maya Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle. They are comics. Um, I assume 
I assume sketch type comics. Maybe they're mm-hmm. comedians as well. Um, I know a little bit about the development process of this. I know a few people who work behind the scenes and I, I, they worked for years and years to get this thing right. It takes place in the year 2000 when they are both in, uh, you remember that Conan sketch? In the year yeah. 2000. They used to make me laugh so yeah. hard. Anyway, uh, it takes place in the year 2000. I was in high school like 95 through 99, so this was hitting me pretty hard. Um, it is these two girls who are about 30 years old playing themselves at 14, 13, mm-hmm. as they come into puberty and so forth. But all their co-stars are actual children. Right. And, you know, there's tons of comedy to be mined from how filthy they are and how they like there's all these slow motion shots of like 12 year old boys with the wind in their hair that get kind of uncomfortable because it's like a 30 year old woman staring lustily at a 12 year old. boy. Right. There's a lot of sick comedy to be had there. And all that stuff is very, very funny. The dialogue is pitch perfect. The music from the time. The clothes, everything like really takes you back. There's an episode about masturbation that is easily one of the most uncomfortable half hours of television I've ever seen because even though it is a 30-year-old woman, she's playing a 13-year-old girl and there's like a close-up of her vagina throbbing like a, you know, like like a cartoon almost. Like, wow. And you're like, there's crazy shit in it. Um, and even as I'm saying this, it probably sounds like it's like a super fucked up depraved thing, but it's very sweet as well. And I might've just been my mood. I found myself crying uncontrollably at several points. I watched all 10 episodes in one day. I did have a week of free time. I'm, I'm trying to decompress. Yeah, from and you, and you a think lot of being work. isolated in a cabin in the woods has nothing to do with this <laughs> whatsoever? Sure. And, you know, I, I had been, uh, you know, working nonstop for nine months. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I was maybe sorting through some shit, but Heather watched it at home. Heather was in high school in 2000, and she was about these girls' age. And, my God, she had the same reaction. She was like, I'm bawling, I'm laughing. I think it is absolutely incredible. I, of course, hope it gets a season two, but I, I'd be worried they'd ruin the thing. It's just a truly perfect thing, and it's only five hours of your time because it's ten and a half hours. I think it's incredible. All I right, urge you to it check out. it out. I will check it out. Sounds funny. Uh, Sounds uh, funny. You're so dismissive, Joe. Why? What, what do you? You're want so me? fucking dismissive. I haven't seen it. What do you want me to say? It sounds funny. <laughs> I'll watch it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Scream him, 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 him. I was trying to bring a little like "Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf" action to the couch. Well, you, you should have said something like "Big Daddy says." <laughs> That's cat in a hot tin. <laughs> oh roof. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Scream in twenty four. What, what is it? Twenty four hour news psycho. But the twenty four hour had a thing in it too. Twenty four hour news psycho. What did Karen want to call it again? Terrible. I thought that's what we incorporated in. Wasn't it like Scream NN, Terror 4-Hour, News Psycho? No. Hers was particularly bad. What's the other news network? Like It was like, she said Fox? like MSNB Scream. <laughs> yeah, I think Karen, was, like was literally like, call it Hatchet News. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 
How are you, Karen? I miss you. I saw Karen the other night. We had a blast. We did a show that my friend Brian Cook has called uh, Guilty Treasures. Karen sang uh, did, uh, the Sheryl Crow song. You sing a song that you love that you don't. Which one? Sort of yeah. a guilty pleasure. The first hit. Did you know? Do, 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 do. To the bad day. Yeah, that song. And you suspend it. You're my favorite mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah that song. I like, a, I like quite a few Sheryl Crow songs. That's not one. I, I love Anything But Down, which is a great song. I didn't know I liked it until I heard her sing it. And you I was don't like, bring I never Anything noticed, But Down. I was like, I never noticed how cool that song is. It's got that organ line in it. And she's like, yeah, right? I think, you know, I don't throw the, throw her music on, but Sheryl Crow's a great songwriter. We had a good time. I sang Santeria. It was a lot of fun. Um, anyway, folks. Uh, yes? Rotten Tomatoes came out. I mean, this is this is almost like the Jussie Smollett thing. Uh, this is just an ongoing thing with these Captain Marvel reviews. But Rotten Tomatoes has deleted hundreds, hundreds of reviews from the user reviews from the website concerning the Captain Marvel film. I think few things have done more damage to modern film than Rotten Tomatoes, if I may. Uh, that's fine. Listen... I was the victim of fake uh, reviews on Amazon, and my album ratings went from four stars to one star right? Uh, because of a trolling campaign. I've been there. You uh, and Captain Marvel, same problem. When I, retorted it, when I reported it to Amazon, I was told, look, we can't get into that game. We can't get into the game of we're going to determine if we think this review is fake or not. If they're saying they don't, there's, this is kind of the risk you take with something like this basically was the was the response right um not the greatest thing to hear but i dealt with it and it was what it was uh captain marvel it seems odd to me it seems odd to me here's why i'm not picking on captain marvel but it seems odd to me that even the good reviews of this movie are saying it's not a good movie even the good reviews are saying is it not great sure yeah. Does it have a lot of problems? Of course. I read you that, Peter Travers. Exactly. Yeah. These are the good reviews. In, in, in conjunction with this, it had a much lower audience score than the, than the critic score, which has happened to tons of movies on Rotten Tomatoes. Sure. Tons. Uh, and vice versa has happened also. Uh, so for Rotten Tomatoes suddenly to step in, as the great Disney machine that is absorbing every fucking studio in Hollywood right now and basically trying to have their fingerprints on everything that ever gets produced in this town seems a little fishy to me that Rotten Tomatoes suddenly deletes hundreds of user reviews and says, we had a major glitch on our site. Those were incorrect. They absolutely did not have a glitch on their site. Yeah, it's just it's weird. I mean, I, I just went through all this. Disney's buying... 20th century fox and like no no one knows who their boss is over there like it makes for a hellish work environment i'll tell you that much yeah so uh you know people this they, is... and it's a monopoly isn't it like at some point don't they say that's enough you can't control 50 percent of hollywood look that's that's the one reason i might not resubscribe to netflix because i think they are perpetuating monopoly yeah i just saw jesus christ idris elba has the new a new tv show with them I'm like, who, what, what A-list nominated actor is not working with these people right now? Uh, you're talking Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. He's a DJ and it's a comedy. Is that what the show is? Yeah. Cause you know how funny he is. 
I saw him on <laughs> SNL, so I know exactly how funny he is. I mean, I really like Idris Elba. I, I do too. I net Netflix is becoming a big problem too, in my opinion. And, and you know, the, at at this cabin, I had Netflix, Hulu, and Prime. You know, that was my TV, and I got to kind of look through, and I was like. What is going on on Netflix? There's just thousands of there's like five new shows a week. That's not healthy. It's they said, well they announced last year that in 2019 they were going to release it was something like 75 things. Yeah. It was an insane number of stuff. What is Pen15 on? Prime? Hulu. Oh, Hulu. Okay, good. See Hulu, I mean, look, they're all corporations at the end of the day, but Hulu I've only watched a couple of Hulu shows and I've been disappointed with almost all of them, but they seem to be taking a step in the right direction and putting a lot of care into what they do put on the air as opposed to just chucking a bunch of shit and hoping it well, lands. Well, I would agree with that. And I would also say that Hulu is not trying to soak, grab up every single player. Right. They and always get the really good, like anytime they get a new movie, I'm like, that's that really good, interesting indie movie I wanted to see. Netflix, it's like, it's like there's got to be like a goddamn Saudi prince somewhere in the shadows behind sure. this thing. Where are they getting this money from? You're not going to like where that money goes back to, I can almost guarantee. Uh, nothing against the Saudi princes, I don't, I don't think. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know who's doing what these days. I don't know yeah. whose side we're on. Today I saw on uh, Twitter... Uh, Donald Trump Jr. defended Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> I saw that too. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, don't, let's not even crack open that can yeah, of worms. All right, the, the, world, the world is ending. Let's get to our movie, uh, Horror Noir. Culture is definitely ending, but the world is also ending. But speaking uh, of good culture, Horror Noir. And speaking of an app, by the way, that, and again, I mean, th- them agreeing to sponsor us i don't even think it came from us talking so much praise about shutter i think it was a coincidence but i don't think it did either because i didn't see any personal note to us in the ad no there should have been a little love maybe we'll waive your 4.99 subscription fee this month i'm I'm just kidding i tease the shutter people but um for 4.99 you get you get what feels like a carefully curated uh, assortment of things and it's always way more stuff than you could watch in a month it's not like they got three movies over there but the Joe Bob shit is so special that first 13 movie marathon yeah. is just fucking incredible and and you know how long does it take you to watch 13 movies I still haven't finished the whole marathon but so worth your time and this was their you know maybe first or second foray into documentary filmmaking Jordan Peele produced it and it is called Horror Noir. Uh, and it is about the history of black, the actors, history of black horror. Yes. And black creators and writers in, uh, yeah, in the horror genre. And I mean, uh, the overall arc is, is, a tri- is a triumphant one uh, because they talk about how they started out being like sort of the gag characters in these movies or the throwaway characters, you know, they were either somebody who got killed right away or they were sort of these wide eyed, like freaked out natives that were sort of warning the white folk about, you know, what was going on around these parts. And they were, it was very stereotypical and, and, and certainly these roles weren't uplifting ones. Well, and you always Um, talk about, and they go into it in this movie too, the very stereotypical mystical black older woman who knows yes. all the secrets yes yeah and i was so happy that they touched on that yeah uh and they talk about how it kind of like that's where it started for black people in horror cinema and 
where they ended up was Jordan Peele winning an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, first black writer in history to win for that. And much deserved. Uh, and much deserved. Uh, and it's just an incredible journey. And some of the most, and, and it's, there are interviews with Stacey, uh, not Stacey Dash. If I may. Stacey I, Dash was not in this. <laughs> uh, well, uh, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, from the craft. Uh, I'm blanking on her name now. Rachel uh, True? Rachel True. Yeah. Um, did you hear that? Clapping. Maybe they're watching a game. Let me correct. I really want to quickly correct myself. Jordan Peele is not a producer. He's one of the talking heads that discusses yeah, movies. Yeah, he's in it. In it. Uh, Ernest Dickerson. He produced the Lorena Bobbitt documentary, which I also watched on, on Amazon. Go Ernest ahead. Dickerson's in it. Love Ernest Dickerson. Uh, the best. Could uh, listen to that guy talk all day. Um, uh, the guy that played Kincaid in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4. Yeah. Arguably my favorite of any Nightmare on Elm Street character. Tony Todd, who Tony played, portrayed Todd. Candyman. Uh, Keith David, who yes. was, most people know as uh, Mary's stepdad in Something About Mary. But also the, um, also the guy at the end of the most disturbing movie sequence of all time in Requiem for a Dream. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful... And there, they, there, are, there are these insights and commentaries that I was completely unaware of. The most fascinating to me was learning that Black audiences saw some of the universal error horror films as commentaries about them. Like, then they talked about the creature of the Black Lagoon, and the woman is saying, you know, here's this creature trying to steal and kidnap the sacred blonde white woman. Right. And he's got big lips. Right. You know, and he's a monster, and he's, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's fucking fascinating, man. Like, I I never knew that. That's what I loved about it is, uh, you know, well, two things. A, it goes to show you that this is a, a real thriving time for documentary film because this movie was probably made for, I mean, aside from licensing film clips, there's almost it's just people sitting around chatting in the same theater. Yeah, they just they just, they just got about a budget of five grand on it. Yeah, they bring in guests who I'm sure were just were like, yeah, I'd love to come down and talk about it, you know. Yeah. And it feels that way. It feels like people talking about their genuine experiences. Um, all the actors who played these quote unquote token roles in the eighties. It's very interesting to see them say like, you know, it's stuff you never think of when you're a kid watching horror movies, but like Rachel true who, you know, she's, she's also had a lot of very valid complaints lately that they'll do these crap, the craft reunion shows and she doesn't get invited. And the other three girls do, which she has finally been invited back because of the up uproar. And congrats to Rachel true that, uh, that that has happened. Yeah. It just sucks that she had to, yeah, I agree. Cause a stink, you know. Uh, one but, of the th- oh, oh, good. No, just that she she talks about how I'm making sure we had her name correct, but she's making sure um, she's talking in this movie that basically her roles. Whenever she got these roles in these horror movies, and they all talk about this experience, your role was saying, "Are you okay?" To the white lead, yeah. is everything okay? Uh, are you seem scared? Is everything all right? What's going on? And they, you know. They probably should have cut together some big supercut of that happening a thousand times in these movies. They show you a couple. But it's like they just talk about what a bummer it was. You know, a few of them have a good sense of humor. And it's like, you know, I was cashing a paycheck. I didn't care. I was in Friday the 13th. But it does really suck that every time they get the part, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the helper. I'm the one who gets killed first. I'm the one. You know, they go into all these horror movie tropes that uh, black people have had to deal with for years, black actors. And I, I really loved hearing all their stories and the different viewpoints on it and then coming into their own more and 
you know, something like Candyman where you have the the first kind of Black Freddy, you know. Of course, you had Blackula and they go into the black exploitation days and all that. Yeah. But, you know, that was a very cool and exciting thing. But then they talk about the problems with that movie. They're like, why is he going after his own kind? He was lynched by white people. Why isn't he going into the... Right. The, the the wealthy parts of Chicago and killing the white people. Well, that's what I found fascinating or, or, or most fascinating about the movie was seeing the two, the duality of opinion uh, or the, or the or compa- or, uh, uh, contradicting opinions, if you will, or varied opinions on some of these movies because they'd show Candyman and you'd see Tony Todd talking about what a breakthrough this was for somebody like him and to be in this movie and the importance of it. But then you'd see other people say, you know, it bothered me that in Candyman he was in love with a white woman. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it was it was interesting to hear the different perspectives on that. Some 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 of the people in the movie were like, you know, I was just happy that finally we were in there doing it. Yeah. And other people were saying, you know, it wasn't quite enough for me at the time. I wanted a little more. But people under the stairs got tons of praise unanimously. Well deserved. I mean, I we talked about that on on this show, and that movie blew me away with how relevant it was and how cool it was. Not a black child is the lead of that movie. Yeah, and the, and the black community prevails at the end against right. these white monsters. So that that one that one got a lot of praise. Yeah. Uh, and then also too, for once, it was a it was a white. You know the 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 native's the wrong term in this sense, but the but the local was the kid with no tongue, right? Uh, basically, in in that role or that position, and it was a white guy finally helping the black people, yeah, out instead of the other way around. So it's it's uh, that movie got you like unanimous praise throughout the documentary. Um, it's a very kind of uh, quick, breezy, fun documentary, but it really paints a great picture of progress in this genre in in race and horror movies so a, a specific area of film but that's how these documentaries would have to be or they'd be a 10-hour special so to me i got the whole picture of this and how difficult progress is and how when you take a step forward you have to kind of look past a few of the other steps that maybe didn't get addressed um i loved it they touched on eve's bayou which is an amazing movie that almost nobody has seen i never saw i always thought that was just like a heavy drama i didn't I, you know what i always thought that was like like a jason's lyric kind of a thing like i never no i had no the, idea it was this sort of dark movie there's a ghost element to it samuel L. jackson is awesome in it um and I, ebert used to rave about it constantly is why i saw it and i just loved the shit out of it i was surprised it was so heavily featured in this documentary but um Lots of great uh, things to put on your checklist, your watch list. Shutter has a lot of the movies that are discussed in the documentary, so you can just check them out once you hear about them. Uh, a particular sort of uh, blank spot for me is black exploitation horror. I've seen a lot of the black exploitation action movies. Your Shaft, of course. Your Coffee with Pam, all the Pam Greers, right? Um, Cleopatra Jones. I've seen. I've seen all those. I love those movies, but. I have seen almost none of the uh, black exploitation horror films. Blackula, Scream, Blackula, Scream, uh, Blackenstein, I believe, was one of them that they said was not very good. But I own Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde, so we yeah. could watch that for the show. I would love to check some of those out. And then, of course, it builds to Get Out and just w- what a breakthrough that was. Besides from being a great movie, Jordan Peele's like, I made this for black audiences. I'm glad other people watched it. But what happens is now nobody's scared anymore to green light a movie about black people about with a black director 
because they were always like relegated to the sidekick role. And now right. I, I think that conversation after Get Out is like, let's maybe make all our horror movies this way. I think you, you saw quite a um, a heap of them coming out right after the, the first Purge and all that. Well, us, 100% score on uh, Rotten Tomatoes right now. Yeah, weirdly, the only review I really looked at was on the Onion AV Club, and they were like, it's it's brilliant, but it's a complete mess. And I was like, well, whatever. I'll I heard, certainly check it out. I heard it's a little confusing, uh, and I want to see it because sometimes in a horror movie, that means Suspiria. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes in a horror movie, oh, that means a Suspiria. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So uh, I want to I want to see in what way is it confusing? Uh, you know, is it not well constructed or is it, you know, are they leaving a lot to interpretation? But uh, but, you know, hey, congrats on a on an opening, you know, opening strong or whatever. And I we'll, can't wait. We'll, to we'll see review it. that for the show. We will absolutely too. review that. I think that's like April 1st. That comes. I think, well, that and Pet Cemetery are in the same like couple weeks. So yeah. definitely try to see both of those early because those will be 100% definite views, especially now that I'm on a little hiatus from work. I'm going to be seeing a lot more movies and shit. Um, we'll wrap this up, Joe. But Horror Noir, uh, just a fantastic documentary made with a lot of love and about a really interesting subject that really helps you look at a lot of your favorite horror movies in different ways for me like when they got into the poltergeist and all that shit you know that actor was like yeah you know that guy's great in the movie but he was like yeah i'm just kind of sitting there like why aren't i the dad when will i ever get a dad part right and you realize you've almost never seen that guy again right so and that's a movie i've seen a billion times you know it's so it's like diversity but sure and it's it's uh, frankly Frankly, yes. it's annoying with the new Pet Cemetery because they made Pascal black, the Pascal character black. And it's like, it, and all I think of when I see that is, well, why couldn't the family just be a black family? Why can't the neighbor yeah. be Morgan Freeman yeah. instead of John Lithgow? Like there, there were, there were more, sig- get, may, why can't the wife be black or the dad be, you know what I mean? It's like there are significant roles they could have given. It's, it's almost, it's almost... I, I felt like that was this, the exact thing that this documentary was sort of focusing its sights on. Was like, yeah. oh, there's one black guy in the movie, and he's the one that gets killed right at the beginning, and he's the one that mystically helps the white people from the other side. It's literally everything the documentary's talking right. about. Well, and still, even your most uh, social justice type people will be like, see, we've got diversity because there's a black guy who has three lines in your show of all white people it's like no it's not really how it works but yeah. okay anyway uh joe DeRosa comedy on instagram joe DeRosa comedian on facebook more food videos hoagies heroes are on the way they'll be coming to you very soon a uh, new story in penthouse this month called menu change uh i am at the vegas topgolf facility uh on friday the 29th and saturday the 30th of march one show per night um and I've got several shows coming up in April. Uh, I'm going to be uh, again doing a show for Bonkers in Minneapolis. Uh, I forget the name of the casino right now, but if you Google Minneapolis, my name and Bonkers, you'll find it. Um, I will be uh, at the Valley Forge Casino in Pennsylvania. Uh, I believe it's the third week of April. Um, and I will be at uh, Moon Tower uh, also. Uh, the... Uh, um, uh, at the Moon Tower Fest in Austin, the th- that's the third week. I think the other one's the second week. Something like that, anyway. 
Folks, uh, check out Uninformed, the podcast featuring Bill Burr and myself at uh, patreon.com slash Burr. I am at the Patrick Walsh, Twitter and Instagram. I may be joining Joe at that Vegas show. Who knows? If you're out that way, come see us both. Um, check out those two movies, Pet Cemetery and Us, when they come out. I don't think we have a next one yet. Do it. Oh, we're going to do the remake of Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, that'll be next week. Um, and that's it. Thank you, folks. We'll see you next time, and we'll see you in hell. A podcast network.